Hi, and welcome to my podcast, The Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm glad you found me. I'm Renee Beery, and I love empowering women to take on home projects, both large and small. I have been the only girl on the job site for the past 27 years, and I have seen it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. With my help, I hope you will be able to avoid the mistakes I've seen in the past and go into your project confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your project is as smooth and successful as possible. Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. And and actually, I'm really glad you're here for this one. We're going to dig in to budgeting. It is something that I discuss not only in the beginning of projects with clients, but as the projects go on, it's pretty much a common discussion at all times. Where are we in the budget? What surprises happened? What do we foresee going down the road? So today, I really want to dive further into how you create your budget for any size project, how you maintain the budget within reason, and we'll discuss how that is, and then how to keep it from just blowing it and getting completely in over your head. Because sadly, I see that happen not on my projects because we're pretty good at monitoring it along the way so that this is avoided. But I hear about it through uh, stories of friends or colleagues that'll talk about how things just got completely out of control. And there's nothing more disappointing than being on a project and, and blowing your budget. It just gets so incredibly stressful. Obviously, things have to get skipped, uh, removed from the scope. It's all in all a bad situation and not one you really want to get yourself involved with. And in my opinion, they are avoidable. So the first thing is I'm typically told something along the lines of, Renee, I have a budget of $30,000 and I want to gut my master bathroom. Is that enough? And they're serious. They want me to say yes and or no, I guess. But really, I think they're they're looking for me to say yes. And it's it's impossible, right? But there's no way of knowing um, until A, I see it. This is often a phone conversation. So one, I need to see the existing conditions. Um, two, are they, are they changing the footprint of the room? The footprint means the physical space. Are they, I don't know, tearing into a closet that's next door? Or are they enclosing a new room and creating a master? There's so many variables that when I'm just asked this generic question, I don't mean to be vague or or kind of not flip because I would never be flipped with someone else's money, but it's sort of like, I have no idea. Um, And then they're like, well, haven't you been doing this a long time? And I said, yes. And that is why I have no idea. So you've really got kind of a backwards approach to it. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand budgeting in that, you know, my husband and I, we sock money away. And so we would then get to a point, let's say $30,000 and say, okay, we can spend this because we have budgeted this. It is put aside from whatever expenses we have ongoing. Now, the next step should be research. And you know me, I'm going to say it a lot. And this is why, because it truly does keep you from major mistakes and it makes you happy in the end. So 
again, let's go back to this bathroom. So a $30,000 bathroom. Well, okay, what are you doing in this bathroom? I just mentioned whether you're changing the square footage of it, the footprint. And the answer may be no. Are you putting in a tub when there wasn't a tub, pulling out a tub where there was a tub? Do you want a stall shower and you had a tub shower combination? All of these things add money to a project, right? It adds costs in fixtures. It adds costs in plumbing, in the demo. It adds and adds and adds. So these are all important things that have to be considered, have to be drilled down on before asking about a budget. And then, okay, you've got your list. You've got your dream list. I want a vanity with two sinks, a toilet. I want a stall shower. I want a freestanding tub. And on my wish list would be things like a steam shower, uh, three walls of glass, as opposed to just a glass door for the shower polished nickel, you know, things like that. Those go on your list and then you start drilling down. And the reason I started with a bathroom is I just had a phone conversation with a client and she, again, came with a number and said, this is what I want to do with the master bath. So I have seen the space and I know that we're going to be taking over the closet next door. So inherently I already have more information, but at the This last conversation, she said, you know what? I'm thinking of steam shower. And I know I originally said no steam shower, but I'm thinking, yep, I really want to do it. What do you think that'll add to my expense? And we started going through the numbers, right? We started looking at steam units and it's what size she would need given the size of her shower stall. And, you know, now you have to tile a ceiling because a steam shower has to be fully enclosed. And you also have to have a transom above the door. That's a a window on a pivot, basically. So you can let the steam, you can control how much steam is in the shower stall and not. So it starts adding in. It's not just go to the plumbing supply or go online and say, okay, what is the latest steam shower unit cost? It's an addition. It's not simply that. It's the additional items that come along because you've triggered that new accessory, right? You're going to have additional plumbing. You're going to have additional tiling. You're going to have a little bit more in construction because steam showers should have the ceiling on a slight angle so that the drips don't drip on you. They sort of run down the angle and hopefully drip behind you. So there are all these little things. You're going to have a transom window like we just discussed. So there are all these little things that come into play when you say, I think I want to add steam shower. And that's where people get hung up. What they'll do is if I wasn't on that phone call, they would go onto a site online and look up how much is a steam shower. And maybe they'll come up with $3,000 and they'll say, okay, great. I'll add $3,000. Yep. Okay. That'll fit into the budget, but they're not realizing what other things are triggered. So they're not realizing that this may end up being a $4,500 adventure or a $5,000 adventure because it's not just simply purchasing the fixture to produce the steam. It's all those other areas behind the scenes that have to now be a part of the scope of work because you want the steam. So that's where I tell people to be very careful and, and why I constantly tell people to research what they want in advance 
And then, so for instance, the woman talked to me and I said, Hey, you're going to have to do all these other areas. She's like, Oh, okay. So what do you think? Should I add another two to three grand? And I always err on the high side because I would much rather a project come in under budget and you have a little slush fund left over to do something else in the house or buy some amenity or something for that room you're working on rather than coming in low making people think that that's a really hard number and then being over that and having the panic ensue that I talked about earlier, which really eats away at people's ability to cope with projects. If they're stressed about money, they're always looking for something to go wrong. And inevitably, if you're looking, you will find things that go wrong. And it's just a really toxic situation. So I would much rather you budget on the high side of anything you're doing, whether that's just furniture or whether you're doing a construction project, and then hopefully come in under and and make it a win. Right. And then it's a success. You're actually going to be more interested in doing another project if that's the case. So that's why I would say you might have, say, this $30,000 in mind, but then you're going to do your research. And you may, in fact, come up with $40,000 worth of product. And then you need to make the decision. Are you going to pull things out of the scope of work? Maybe skip the steam, maybe skip the freestanding tub, you know, who knows what that may be, or... And more importantly, are you just going to wait a little bit longer to sock away that extra 10000 and get the bathroom of your dreams? Now, in my opinion, I would always tell you to do the latter. You know, there's just no purpose in spending $30,000 and having to cut corners. You will always feel that you cut corners. And that's depressing. If you're going to spend that kind of money, don't you want to get exactly what you want? So that is always my approach. And I know it's not what people want to hear. They want to hear, yep, it can be done in $30,000. And like I just said, that is possible. But if you're compromising too many of the selections, I always tell people to hold on to that $30,000 and wait until you can bank for the forty dollars or whatever that number is that you have developed on in your own research. And then that means talking to contractors, getting pricing. And if you then have to tell a contractor, you know what, I still want to do this project, but it's going to take me another six months to a year to get that extra budget money lined up great, open, honest, he won't care. He'd much rather wait and do it the right way, the way you want it, than start in on something that you're going to be cutting corners. And quite honestly, most people take it out on everybody around them when they're kind of frustrated and no contractor wants that. So go ahead, get all of your numbers as tight as possible. Now, keeping in mind a year from you know whatever day that conversation takes place, you're going to have to obviously reprice things. Things may go up a little, And that's why you always save an additional 10 to 15% on any project, depending on what it is you're working on, so that if inevitably something does go wrong, then you've got that money sitting there waiting. Or if a contractor says, hey, you know what? I know we discussed doing it this way. I think it should be done that way. And I'm going to tell you why, but it's going to be an extra $1,000. You'll have that money to be able to make the decision that's best for you as opposed to making the decision based on the money. See the difference? It's really important to be making decisions based on what you want versus what you can afford. So if you go into this the right way, you will be able to afford what it is you want.
So that is how I approach budgeting sort of like in the big picture. Now, the other way to do things is in stages. And it's not usually a popular topic because people have waited months and years to get this project underway. So the last thing they want me to tell them is, well, let's do the master bath, but we're not going to do the hall bath at the same time. Let's do that in a year or two years or whenever that budget has recovered and take the money you were going to use on the hall bath and dump it into the master bath project right now. That's just good sense, right? If you want to do something to the level that you've selected, you need to find the budget. And like I said, maybe it's waiting six months to a year to sock it away from your earnings, or it's taking from another budget somewhere else in the house. So for instance, I was on a very large project and the homeowners didn't want to compromise on anything. This was their dream house. They are living in it forever and they wanted it perfect for them. God bless, right? I I hope we all get that in life. But it came to the fact that some of the along the way, their choices were adding up and their budget was supporting it, but there were going to be certain rooms that they knew they didn't want to compromise on. And one of the rooms was on the lower level. The architect had designed a bar, pool table, rec room type space. And there were drawings of it and, you know, we'd sort of play around with it and it just sort of didn't hit anyone's focus. We knew they wanted a beautiful custom bar and we knew that that was going to blow their budget. So they made the hard decision to hold. That room, if you go downstairs in their house, is unfinished. Next door is the most beautiful theater you've ever seen. And next door to that is the wine cellar of their dreams. So great. Good for them. They made the mature decision to invest in what they wanted and wait and get what they want for the bar. And guess what? It's been about eight months. We're starting in on the bar. They're not panicked about money. They know what they want. They've been working on the items you know, one at a time. They wanted this little mini fridge. They wanted these refrigerator drawers. They wanted, you know, the the actual taps on the bar itself. These are things they've been working on and they've been saving the money along the way in order to get them. So now listen, I mean, have they been having people over to their house? I mean, I guess it's helpful that it's a pandemic and they really haven't been, but the friends that they have that are in their pod have been coming over and they've explained this is going to be our future bar. And everyone oohs and ahs and they, you know, of course, all weigh in on what they think that should look like. And, you know, it becomes kind of a fun topic, but there's no harm, no foul because they know that they're going to get to it. Now, I'm not saying, especially if you're building, build something so big that it's going to take you 10 years to actually fill out all the rooms. Nobody would ever encourage you to do that. But there may be one or two spaces that you just hit the pause button so that you can get what you want. And of course, you know, there were overruns on certain items in this house because there were unforeseen issues. Same thing, right? They're like, okay, that that makes even more sense as to why we're going to hold on the bar. So we are not panicking because X, Y, and Z went wrong and nobody foresaw it because that is standard on any project. We definitely can't tell you what it will be in advance, but something always goes wrong. There's always a surprise. It's never in your favor. So just assume that and move on, right? Just know it. It's going to come so that when it does come, you go, oh, right. Yeah. Renee said 
something's going to happen. Oh, this is my something. And then you move on because you've got that 10 to 15% socked away, like we said, and or you have the ability to pull from another area of the house's budget and plop it right where it needs to be to keep that momentum going and not allow it to kind of implode the entire project. Because that is what I see, that it's sort of this, you lose weeks as people kind of burn and churn over it. And are you sure there's something wrong? And, you know, are you sure there's no cheaper way to fix it? Or, you you know, in weeks literally will go by trying to resolve this. When you think, God, it really could have been resolved that one week if you'd had the money set aside for the contingency problems, which like I said, will happen. And here we've probably lost three or four weeks in trying to get various people in to look at and give second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth opinions, which basically all said the same thing. So I really recommend that. And I don't think, you know, I once had someone say, well, it makes it seem like I can't afford the house I have. And in my opinion, that's completely false. What it means is that you aren't willing to compromise on your selections. And whatever those selections are, those are, you know, specific to you. And that means that you're willing to push off the end date of all of the rooms so that you get what you want. I don't consider that kind of overbuying. Um, Overbuying is if it's six, eight, nine, 10 years and you still have empty rooms. That's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about making strategic choices and pushing things off for a specific amount of time. And, you know, you should all be able to do that, right? We all know what our income is. We know what our expenses are. If you've already got this budget, you know, socked away. Okay. How long did it take you to do that? So if it's 30,000 and, you know, it took you 3000 a month, it took you 10 months. Okay. If you need another 30,000, guess what? There's 10 months. Now, doesn't mean that the project can't start before 10 months, because obviously you will be accruing budget along the way. That's sort of a personal threshold for pain. You know, I have clients who are like, I, you know, I've got 50% saved and each month I'm saving more and more and more. And so they'll start in knowing that the income is still coming. That process makes some people just insane, right? They just, it makes them have panic attacks all the time. So you're going to know your own threshold for pain in that respect, but it doesn't necessarily mean that if it's going to take 10 months to save up all that money doesn't mean you can't start the project at say month five or six, knowing that obviously you're going to have deposits paid out, you, you know, but you'll have progress payments or whatever. However, you you know strike the deal with your contractor, but just know in advance that say a thirty thousand dollar job is not paid in thirty thousand dollars on day one. It's paid out over time as progress happens as things get installed. So that's another option. Now another way to look at it is sort of the baby in the bathwater syndrome, right? I'll have clients say, so for instance, um, in a kitchen design, I'll have clients say, I'm going to rip everything out. We're going back to the studs and we're going to put all new in. And I said, okay. And they're going to, and I said, what, what is your dream? And they said, well, we want white kitchen cabinets. And then they start, and I'm so, let's say I'm standing in the kitchen and they start describing cabinets that look almost exactly 
like the cabinets they have. And more often than not, they're like, well, we're not really not going to change the layout because the layout works, but we just can't stand, let's say they have stained cabinets and they can't stand that, but they want to add one or two or change the configuration a little bit, but not drastically. And I look at them and I go, why aren't you going to consider painting the ones you have? You know, it's the same style you were just describing. You can still add in, you can still reconfigure if you're painting. And they kind of look at me and they're like, huh, these are really nice cabinets. I have no problem with the cabinets. I just didn't like the color of them. Thinking, well, why don't we say you have tens of thousands of dollars in new cabinetry and just paint them. So I do find that sometimes people get really hung up on the fact that they literally have to rip everything out to, to get that kind of new, fresh look. And it's just simply not true. You, you need to be clever about it. I will say like, I would not hire some random painter to paint cabinetry. I would want a painter that has painted cabinetry before, not in my area, sadly, but in bigger cities, there's actually painting kind of buses. It's the coolest thing on earth. This guy out of Denver I met at a conference was telling me that he, it's, it's basically a retrofitted RV and it's a mobile spray booth. And he will pull into people's driveways. He will go into the kitchen. He will take off all the cabinet doors. Depending on if something is glass front, he might actually remove the cabinet, take it into his RV that's in your driveway, remember, spray it all down. He stays there until it's done. You know, it usually takes two, three coats. And then, you know, it's a factory, essentially a factory finish painted cabinet. What a genius idea. Now, I keep trying to convince my painter locally to do it. And he actually says he's heard of it. He's just said he's so overwhelmed with other work that he just can't can't fathom adding that to his um, product line. But I'm going to keep trying on it. So wherever you're listening, you may have people that do that. Now, in my situation, we paint cabinets quite frequently. And um, I have one or two guys within this big team of painters that I use, and they are phenomenal at painting cabinetry. And so you would, I would challenge you to come into a client's home and tell me whether they were painted by hand or factory painted. So these are options that really impact, greatly impact budgets. Positively, obviously, it's uh, far less expensive to paint cabinetry than it is to fabricate and install. So there are ways of sort of picking and choosing, repairing versus replacing that some people overlook. One client, she basically said it made her feel cheap that she couldn't or wouldn't rip out cabinetry. And I came right back at her and I said, does it make you look cheap or does it make you look like a financial wizard that you're actually reusing what you have and therefore you're going to go get your Mac Daddy Cornu range that you wanted. And she's like, well, there's an interesting way of looking at it, right? So I would never look at it as kind of a cheap way out. Now, sure, people will take cheap routes out, and that's not what I'm encouraging. I am encouraging people to think kind of holistically about their spaces and see what they can and cannot work around. And some of it, you may need to ask team members. You may need to ask a contractor if he has any clever ideas, because what you might find is 
the people, if you're already working with people, that they have these ideas, they're just not sure you want to hear them. And so they may not just simply offer them up. You would likely have to put it out there that you're open to any idea, thinking outside of the box. What do you got, team? I mean, that's a great thing to say in week one meeting, week two meeting, and say, okay, here are our plans. Here's what I've told you I want. What am I missing? What do you see on other projects that I could incorporate or take out of this scope because of X, Y, and Z? I mean, keep in mind, I don't know how many projects that you personally have done, but chances are, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say your contractor has done, I don't know, 10 times that number, 20 times that number, depending on how long he's been in the business. So he's probably seen a few more things than you have, and that's why you have him right? That's why people hire me. They hire me for my experience and my knowledge that I will bring to a project. And not taking advantage of it is is short-sighted, right? That's silly. What a waste of all of my experience. I have clients constantly, hey, Renee, have you ever seen this before? Most of the time I say yes. And then we discuss what I've seen and how we have or haven't, you know, used it in one way or the other or manipulated it or replaced it or whatever the case may be. And then there are times where I haven't seen it before. And then that's my opportunity to go learn from other people who have. So this is how teams really successfully work. You don't work in a silo. You don't give Renee, okay, Renee, you're in charge of the selections of the tile. That's it. And contractor, you're in charge of just the demo and the reinstall. And that's it. Because that is wasting all of the knowledge that I have watching demo and reinstall. And that's wasting all of the knowledge the contractor has on how specific tile or fixtures work in a different setting. So really allowing a team to integrate, to really rely on everyone's skill sets and knowledge base is when you are going to have the most amazing end product. And unfortunately, I do have friends who are pretty adamant about doing it their way and that's it. Because I'll even ask, well, what did the contractor think about that? If they ask me a question and they'll say, oh, I didn't ask him. And I'm thinking, why not? And usually it's something along the lines of, well, I I didn't think he'd know anything or, you know, if it's something aesthetic, they're just sure the contractor doesn't know anything. And trust me, I have some who they may know about aesthetics. They don't want to weigh in on it. And that's fine. But give them a chance, right? You'd be surprised how many actually have some opinions that may or may not help inform your decisions. Again, you are paying these people. Let's use them. You're not just simply using them for their physical skills. Use them for their knowledge and their experience. So the last piece I see often is I'll be involved in a renovation project. Maybe it's a kitchen reno or or a bathroom or a small addition. And they also are furnishing things, right? Whether they're just moving in or whether these new areas, you know, now need furniture that they didn't previously own because they aren't moving. And and again, they'll say something like, Renee, my all-in budget is $50,000. Let's make it work. And we'll start going through line by line. Okay, in this area, you want X, Y, Z, P, D, Q, you know, the whole thing. And we'll be creeping up on, say, 45000 and we haven't gotten to furniture. 
And the homeowner will say something like, well, we've got to take something out. Now, you remember a couple of minutes ago, I said, taking something out of a construction project is probably the worst decision you can make because you wanted it in there in the first place. It's not easy to add them back in necessarily, depending on what it is. So really where you should be pulling back on the budget are things like the furniture that you can bring in at any time. The other thing you can do, and I'm not a huge fan of this because it it is wasteful, is you get something really inexpensive. And I mean, you know, going Ikea, Wayfair, something along those lines, knowing it's a placeholder so that the room is actually functioning. So the last thing you want is to say, blow out your family room and then have no furniture in the family room right? There's no point in that. But maybe you evaluate your budget to how can I get good enough that will cover me for the next year because I know what budget I do need and I've already calculated it will take me approximately a year to get that. I'm not a fan of running everything up on credit cards, hoping and praying that that all works out. I am much more of a fan of creating the here and now in a lower price point and then saving for what you really truly want. And then there are a lot of charities that I help clients send their furniture, lightly used furniture to when they do in fact get their better pieces, their forever pieces in. So it's not wasteful, but I also wouldn't spend a lot of money doing that either. So, and some people are like, nope, Renee, hard no on that. I I don't want cheap furniture in my pretty new room. And I get that. There's, you know, better looking stuff than others out there. And you can be doing your own research and that's going to be a personal decision on your part. But I really, 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 as you can tell through this entire podcast, want to make sure that your budget will support your entire project and not run short and force you because the project is underway to make concessions on decisions that you will be upset about for years to come. So sort of to recap, obviously, I have been repeating myself this whole time, really start with a budget that you have, build into it, make sure it's the budget that you need. And those are very different topics usually. Have and need, typically, I don't find are the same dollar amount. So how far apart those will be is going to be up to you to figure out. Try to find as many numbers as you can, get as much advice as you can. You know, there may be things like this kitchen cabinetry. You can keep the cabinets, add a few more boxes in and paint them all, saving thousands of dollars, not only in product, but in installation and hardware. I mean, it's endless, the amount of savings you can have. And then the other is going and figuring out if you can stage the work. And people will always say, well, what should I do then, Renee? Which piece should I do and which piece should I push off? I usually tell people you want to do the thing that's the most invasive because you want to get that over and done with. That's typically a kitchen or a bathroom because those are rooms that we use every single day. And then people will say, well, what should I shave off my budget in order for, say, a bathroom in order to get it down a few you know, thousand. And as you will imagine, my answer is 
nothing. You should have the amount of money in your budget so you don't have to shave things off. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, if there are things you really don't care about, fine. They shouldn't have been on your list in the first place. But I'm talking about things that you knew you wanted and and just don't have the money to support those decisions right now. That's where you say, I need to take a pause and it may be six months before I can come back and start this project. So these are areas that are, they're not easy to discuss. I mean, trust me, I am a part of some very personal conversations. And, you know, there's nothing more personal than finances. And, and I'm often the bad guy. I am often the guy pointing out where the budget won't stretch to. And in the end, I would much rather be that person on the front end of a project before everything's torn out than being on the back end, scrambling, trying to cut corners to make the budget last. So I, and I explain that to my clients, you know, it's important for me, for them to be unbelievably satisfied with their project at the end of their investment, both their time and their money. And so basically, let's pretend you and I are having that conversation right now. And that's what I would tell you to do. Make sure your budget's big enough. And you might be making some pretty tough decisions that might piss you off because you really are ready to get going. But trust me, I know this to be true. You will be so much happier in the end if your budget actually supports the true design that you're going for. So I know I spent a lot of time talking about budgets, and I'm sure I've created a lot of questions. And I love the questions that I get after these podcasts. So send them my way. I'm happy to discuss this further, try to drill down on the big picture and make it more manageable and understandable. And then let's keep this conversation going because this is a really important piece to any home renovation project that you will take on. Thanks again for listening. And I look forward to our next time together. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to me. You can email me or direct message me through social media, and we can start a conversation about what it is you're going through right now. That will also help me come up with other ideas for future podcasts that I can share with everyone. As I assure you, we're all in the same boat together. I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave me a review. If you would like to find out more about me and what I can do, please go to my website, www.devignedesign.com. Thanks for listening and I hope to hear from you soon.